Holly. Hey, Dave. How are you today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? I'm pretty fired up today. Our guest today, Lynn McDonald. She is the AAA editor for All Access. For those who don't know, is a radio. It's like the Bible for radio. It's a daily not newsletter. It's more than that. It's everything. It's got columns. It's got jobs. It's everything. But we learned last week that it was going to be closing down soon. So Lynn is the AAA editor. Uh, that's uh, the radio format. And she is joining us today to talk about her career and that. Very excited to talk to Lynn. How are you today, Dave? It is sad. And usually when you hear the demise of something, you reach out to them. Usually we don't have an excuse to talk to Lynn, but now we sadly do. So uh, it's great to talk to Lynn and learn all about her career. In radio promotion, the, the people who are the radio promotion people at record labels, she is the one who is working with the radio stations to get the songs on the air. And Lynn is very good at that. First, we have to learn about how our relationship with our listeners is established, how they find us on, like, let's say, social media. We are so easy to find on social media. We are at WDDIM Podcast. And on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make podcast. And you'll find you know some outtakes, our talk with Lynn and a lot of the other uh, guests we've had on the podcast. So check us out. Yeah, you can also see all our past episodes at our website, WDDIMpodcast.com. You could also sign up for the newsletter. It's a monthly newsletter. So much fun. Get it the first of every month. And it's uh, something to look forward to. Simple, easy, and effective. <laughs> I don't know. That's it's, what we want. It sounds like a bug spray or something. I don't know. Did you just compare our newsletter to bug spray? Yeah, I think I did. Okay, <laughs> so let's get right into it. We're going to talk with Lynn McDonald. She is a, let's just call her a music uh, industry pro. Maven. Okay, she encompasses all. Let's just get into it with Lynn. Let's get into it. This is Lynn McDonald on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Are you wearing KMET? I am. <laughs> yeah like a classic state a classic t-shirt i was just reminding holly my first radio station was at the wave and i worked with frank cody who actually just passed away so i was kind of in an homage to him frank cody was the last pd at kmet during the uh, the valentine's day massacre is what they called it in 1986 oh, <laughs> i know geez i think wait 19 I was just starting at R and R in March of '86, so where? Oh, okay, I wasn't quite in the music industry yet. Well, R and R is the music industry. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I didn't starting. start till March of '86. So if it was February of '86 when Cami T died, oh. I wasn't there yet. Oh, okay. And I guess I we must have overlapped. I worked for Westwood One starting in 1988, so technically oh, we worked yeah. for the same company. Yes, yes, indeed. So you worked with Sean Alexander at R&R? Sean replaced me oh. at R&R. I was the alternative editor, and then he came in after me. Or did Barry Jekyll come in in between? We had somebody in between, and then it was Sean after that. But Sean was at R&R, but not working in alternative at the time. So yeah, that's where we all met, me, Joel, and Sean. Oh, nice. Did you found the alternative department? I mean, that, it was 86? I started it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had 14 reporters. And uh, 14 we the chart every other week because we didn't have enough like content. And there was a lot of uh, college stations on there at the time, you know, like KUSF and what's the station down in Atlanta, WRAS, I believe. That's where Dave Hill was. 
he was like a baby in college. <laughs> we all were babies in college. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, I'm, all right. So 14. Now I bet you, can you name them all? Let's see. So of course, K-Rock and of course, L-I-R. And was uh, San Diego there? 91X? 91X. 91X was there. And KUSA and WRES in Atlanta. And then HTG and Waxy in oh, Cincinnati. Bo- uh, Boston. Uh, Boston was uh, FNX there? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Oh, uh, uh, B- first it was Austin, which was... Uh, Okay, you kick you in Phoenix. Okay. With with, uh, with Jonathan. Um, Jonathan L. Yeah. And uh, what was the one at Salt Lake City that before they turned into X96, where they had the milk truck and Mike Summers was the program director. Forgot the call letters. God, my brain is just so fried. No, no, okay. Didn't you know this is going to be all of this is your life? You're going to, you got to uh, have to <laughs> rem- what prompted you to make the jump from R&R to label? Oh, this is a great story. <laughs> so when I was at R&R, you know, there were no computers or anything. And all the label people were waiting on Tuesday night on hold at the front desk, waiting for their numbers. Tuesday night, it was like freak, a freak show. And there was an independent rock promoter indie guy named Michael Papali who would schmooze each was great. He schmoozed me to death. He like, Oh, do you want to go to this show? I'll get you tickets. Oh, you want to meet this band? I'll get you backstage passes. Oh, this, Oh, that. And he like got me like hooked. And then he one night convinced me to give him the inside line where it was right at my desk. So I would sneak him the numbers before all the people that were waiting at the front desk uh, for their numbers. And then he would call them. So he had like the inside tip and they were like, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? Well, anyways, Michael and I, he saw that there's something in me and he he recruited me to go to Interscope. Yeah. We had Gerardo. (laughs) Yeah. Gerardo. Rico Suave himself. um, Yeah. And then we had Primus was the first band I worked at, at radio, Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Oh, nice. Was yeah. that the, that was with Jerry was a race car driver, right? Was that? Jerry yeah. was a race car driver. Yeah. That was the first single we took to radio. The great part about my naivete then was that I just had no clue what the hell I was doing. Right. And that was a really good thing. Sure. Yeah. You bring pride. I was just like calling people and like, you know, oh, what do you mean Jerry was a race car driver is in a radio song? What are you talking about? <laughs> right. And it allows for your passion. But before you become jaded, you know, your passion comes through just, yeah. you know, in droves. Yeah. We had a blast. We did some really fun promotions. I remember we did a 91 at a, like a, one of those little race car places. <laughs> it was super fun. And Les Claypool is just a gem of a human being. You know, at first when I met him, I thought he was so weird. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so scared of this guy. Like, he's so weird. <laughs> and then he invited me to go on the bus down to San Diego when we did that promotion at the drag car, uh, drag racing place. 
And then it was great after that. Then I got a nickname. Everybody who's close to Les has a nickname. And he calls you by that. So mine was Gungadin Lin. But then it turned into Gungola, the Ayatollah of rock and rolla. Beautiful. <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds like names we make up for our pets, right? How you just. Oh, he had them all. <laughs> he had Trous was the tour manager. And then he called Flapjacks was his friend that was like the assistant tour manager that had big, big ears. So he called them Flapjacks. Like his ears were like pancakes. <laughs> and he called the sound guy Mumbles, Derek, because he used to mumble all the time. He called them Mumbles. The like sa- everybody had a name that wasn't their real name. You <laughs> the, know, The sound guy That's was Mumbles. Funny. That's funny. Yeah. Mumbles. Yeah. Derek Featherstone. Did oh you- my God. It's so funny. Did you ever go to his, he's a wine connoisseur. Did you ever go to Rancho Relaxo? Isn't that the name of the place? I went to Rancho Relaxo. And I did, I went to Les's wedding. Les had a wedding on a boat when he got married. It's Cheney. His wedding was on a boat. And it was funny because Kirk Hammett was then. He was one of his besties back in the day. Well, he still is, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it was great. A great time. Yeah, I've been to Rancho Relaxo. It's super cool up there in Sebastopol, Sebastopol, California. Yeah. Nice. Fun. How fun. Such a good time. Did you hang out with Jimmy or Jimmy Iovine or was it? Uh, just, oh, yeah. What, what Jimmy, were Ted Field. There were only 14 of us. Right, right. Very small. Time. Yeah. Yeah. There was just the, the your basic, um, you know, skeleton staff starting the label. I do. I remember like when we went to. We went to Gerardo's house to stuff bags for the promo party that we had. (laughs) So we were all like stuffing bags with the CD samplers. And his dad made us like this, these delicious, this delicious Mexican meal. So we were at Gerardo's house and then we had a giant party for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That was like one of our first soundtrack things that we did through Ted's film company. We had Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Think about Mark Wahlberg yeah, now yeah. and Mark Wahlberg when he was like the Calvin Klein underwear model and he had his his group, the Funky Bunch. <laughs> then there was Death Row Records that was That's like right. across the hall from us. Talk about crazy town. <laughs> that was like crazy. All right. Well, I need a I need a crazy town story. What? Why were Why were? Well, I mean, so we had Snoop and. Dre and Tupac and Suge Knight, who is the scariest human on the face of the planet. And I just remember some stories. Let's see. Well, we had a security guy in the lobby because we were in the bank building at the corner of Westwood and Wilshire. We're in the, and the Mm -hmm. bottom floor is a bank, right? So we had a security guy that just sat in the lobby and read the newspaper, but he was fully packed, you know? And one Tuesday, I know vividly it was a Tuesday because it's, you know, it's radio day. We were getting ads and I'm at my desk collecting ads and I had my headset, you know, attached to like, I could unplug it and go to the bathroom and then come back. You know, nothing was like remote or anything. So I got up to go to the bathroom and LAPD was just coming up onto the 14th floor where we worked and it was they closed off the whole floor because it was looking, they came to look for the uh, pink slip to Snoop's Jeep that was uh, allegedly in, involved in a murder. Like the, the vehicle was in a murder. And so they came to get the pink slip because Jimmy bought Snoop the Jeep. So they thought Jimmy had the pink slip. So they closed off the entire floor. They surrounded the whole like 
corner of the building right down the street from like UCLA, you know? So I go out to the bathrooms were like out by the elevators in the lobby. And I went to the bathroom and they're like, you can't go back in. We're like locking the floor. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's Tuesday. Like it's ad day. I have to get ads. I can't be out here waiting. Like this isn't what I'm going to be doing. And they were like, well, no, you got to wait. And then I just remember Jimmy telling them, why would they think he was so stupid to have the pink slip to Snoop's Jeep when he bought it for cash or something like that from my vague memory. But anyway, so that was one incident. <laughs> and then there was another one where we had a street kid named um, Fabian Duvernay, Fade. He was the coolest guy ever. I loved him. He did all their street promotions. You know, he, he did all the flyers and everything, went to all the clubs. And he was coolest guy and he used to call me nails because i was working nine inch nails at the time so he called me nails and he was just awesome but for whatever reason i think and he was like a skinny wiry kid like super thin and tall and he pissed off jug and i just remember walking by and shook had him by the neck like up in the corner like pushed him against the wall and was like screaming at him about something that he didn't do or did do or whatever. And that was really scary, but just like a lot of stuff, you know, like there are so many like great artists that started there at Interscope, you know, with, but when we, so we had Matt, we had Nine Inch Nails and Manson and Prick and the Jim Rose traveling circus. They were all on tour one year. That's right. I, I remember going to that show at the universal amphitheater. Actually, yes. I saw, I yes. saw, I was courted, but well, you worked with Rambo, right? Dave Darius. Is that? Yes. Rambo. <laughs> he was another one. He, yeah. I think did he give himself that nickname. I seem to like he, when I saw him, he was like, yeah, just call me Rambo. Everyone calls me Rambo. Like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Hey, fella. He called everybody fella. Yeah. Fella. Hey, fella. <laughs> I just remember going to restaurants with him and he'd be like, hey, fella. He called the waiter fella, whether they were a girl or a boy. Hey, fella, see this drink over here? If it gets down to halfway, I want you to come back and fill it up again. I don't want to be farting dust over here. Like that was like Rambo, you know, <laughs> just so hilarious. So you, you did have to put it out a lot of fire. I'm sure with. Yeah, with Marilyn Manson, and you had that tour, that whole Jim Rose, you know, with Jim Rose and all his shenanigans. Oh, my God, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah, they were crazy. There was a lot going on backstage that I just avoided because I didn't want to get <laughs> I was scared, you know? I was just like, I'm not going back. <laughs> I don't, you know, great to to work with. I mean, they, they did everything we asked them to do. I just remember being in, like, a... Arby's in Salt Lake City, Utah, when we first put out Manson and they're all in their like, you know, makeup and he had the eye, he had the contacts on and, and people were like looking at us like we were super weird. Well, looking at them probably, I don't know that I was part of that, but maybe obviously, you know, cause I was with them. And then um, one day I had to pick up Manson to, to go to Kevin and Bean and he was running late. And I, so I picked him up and we're going to go in the morning show. He's like, I'm not, I don't have my makeup on. You know, I can't go. I'm not ready yet. And I'm like, dude, it's not on video. Who cares? Well, I go put on sunglasses and lipstick and let's roll. He was just like, not ready. But it was funny because he's like, I don't have my makeup on. Yeah. I'm like, Come on, like, let's go. So did bands like No Doubt seem just low key in middle of the road? <laughs> uh, 
I love them. I love, 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 love them. Yeah, I have like great stories with them too, because, you know, they were my peeps and they're from Orange County and just like we started with them from the very beginning. I just remember there was one story when Gwen had her pink hair and she was dating Gavin because he had Bush too and they were on tour together. So she's like, come on the bus with me. Um, she wanted me to go on the bus because, you know, she's like, I, I, you know, I'm with all these boys. I want to come on the bus. with me. So we went to Denver and she wanted to go shopping in the mall and but she had pink hair, you know, and she was Gwen Stefani and everybody was starting to know who she was and everything. So we go to the mall and Tony was having a cow that we went without security. And he's like, I go, I can handle it. We're fine. You know, no, no, you got to take security. I go talk about like being obvious. Mm -hmm. You have me and her and then some big, like burly guy following us around a mall in Denver. Let's we're just going to go. And she like wore a black zip up hoodie with her hood up. And I'm like, it's 90 degrees in Denver. (laughs) Like if that's not super obvious too, but the pink hair was more obvious than the hood than than the zip up hoodie. So we're in like, like one of those nice stores, like for uh, Goodman, however you say that. Anyway, and she, we're at the Kiehl's counter. Well, first all these kids started to like figure out it was her and they start following us around and she was being super nice, you know, like, oh, sure. You know, I'll sign your shirt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, what? We can't, we like, we got to like get your stuff for your, she was going on vacation after the tour ended and she wanted to buy some things and then. I'm like, we got to get out of here. You know, once like people start finding out, it's going to be mayhem. So then she started to get irritated with people. And then she was like, this one girl was talking to her at the counter of Kiehl's about how she loves that picture of her holding the orange on the cover of the album because she had this dream about oranges. And she was really weird, this chick. And then Gwen kept kicking me. I'm like, ma'am, ma'am, what's wrong with you? Why do you keep kicking me, ma'am? Like she wanted me then. To get rid of this chick, but when before she's it's all good. That was funny too. You had the best, but you gave her up. Cause dependency might interrupt. I list it boils so hard to please put your indecisive mind at ease. You broke the set now. There's there's only singles, there's no looking back, and this time I'm beating. Are you happy now? Well, tell me Good times at Interscope, but you left. What happens with Interscope? And then you ended up somewhere also amazing. Yeah. So after Interscope, I was there for eight years. I ended up going down, moving down to Laguna Beach. I work with Jim Guerno. He had Time Bomb Recordings. And he was formerly the GM at A&M Records. And then he started his own label. He got a distribution deal through BMG to distribute Time Bomb Recordings. So I moved down there because it was beautiful down there. And you had like a little staff. He had the coolest office right on PCH, on 2nd and PCH down Laguna. It was just a really super cool. I was there for 18 months and then he lost his distribution deal. So it kind of imploded. So we all had to find other jobs, but. It was really cool being at that little label. And, you know, that's when I got to go out with Ness. Because we had Mike Ness's solo album. And me and Ness went on a 
solo tour together. We went on like a promo tour together, just me and Mike. <laughs> and that was so cool too, because, you know, you have this vision of Ness on stage and like his whole persona. And then you hang out with him and you travel with him. And I just remember we were like Mott and Jeff at the end of the tour. Cause he was like, he kept having to go to the bathroom all the time. I go, what do you got to like bladder or pee? You know, and we were like laughing at each other about that. And then he was criticizing my driving. He's like, Oh my God, a jerk neck. Just while you're, you're riding the brake. Why are you keep riding the brake? You know? <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Oh, so, and then, he was telling me all kinds of stories about his love life and everything. And uh, then he asked me about mine, like what's going on. And I'm like, nothing's happening. Right. So then he kept trying to find me guys, right. On planes and stuff. On planes. uh, (laughs) Great. He was so funny. Like try to be a matchmaker. He's like, Oh, there's one. Like, he's like, what's your, you know, who do you like? Like, what do you like? And you know, do you think Mike Ness would be like your matchmaker? like awesome though yeah. yeah that was good times and then i ended up at the firm for a year in between when i left time mom and then when i went to reprise that's so right. so what yeah that's i was remind us what, what was the firm what was that who was the head the of firm was a man and it was p katsis and jeff quatnitz i was only there for a little bit and then i went to reprise Okay, so when did was Grand Royal? weren't you? At- oh, Grand Royal was kind of in between. Like I was doing. Um, that's oh, that's when um <laughs> when I met Craig and he was doing A and R. Oh, I got to be with the Beasties for a minute. You right. know. Well, that's why I wanted. Yeah. I want to talk Beastie that's Boys. Where, that's that's what I'm trying. That's to get. where Dave was going. <laughs> yeah, Grand Royal. That was super fun. But I was only there for like like I was doing in between. You know, gigs. You know, when I left time bomb went to grand royal i was like a consultant you know oh, okay with silva and those guys was it mike d's endeavor it seems like he mike was... d yeah mike, mike d oh he's the coolest human too <laughs> and kenny the tick he was there and craig who then ended up going to reprise and signed my cam and the used and oh my god that was just great Talking with Lynn McDonald, having a wonderful time learning about rock stars, but the time has come to take a break. So let's just flip it over. We'll see you on the flip side. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. We're back on the What Difference Does It Make podcast with Lynn McDonald. Very nice. So, okay. Then you, you're you at Reprise. Reprise was, we had such a killer team of people. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I think, well, aside from like Interscope being like the, you know, and like starting and putting that label on the map, the Reprise team was just like exceptional. And we had such great products. Well, first we had the U's. And I love those guys, even though Bert's insane too. And then we had Mike Pam and we had Green Day. I mean, it was just like disturbed. We started those guys there. Just so much cool stuff. We had Tegan and Sarah. Yeah. Come on, I'm trying to think. Did you go on the Warp Tour? Did you do like that? Yeah. Oh my God. I was on the Warp Tour like all the time. I felt like I lived on the Warp Tour every summer for like 10 years. Yeah. So what was the, like when it first started out, what was it like? Just concrete, bunch of kids it was floating in, around. It was, in it was really fun. It was cool. It was like, it was like a cool hang, you know, but they were and all small, in and then it, parking lots, right? Then it got they, so big. Yeah. It was always in parking lots. So it was yeah. always super hot because it's in the summer and it was on concrete and there was just no shade anywhere. Like work tour was when it started. And then I think, what did it go? 25 years. That was crazy. And then we always had bands on Uproar and Mayhem, too, because I think Disturbed headlined Mayhem almost every year. And then we had the Uproar tour. So that was all John Reese and John Oaks. And John Reese managed the use at the time with Oaks. And then they ended up promoting all those shows. So there was always something cool to do. But I just remember my last Warp tour when I was kind of old and over it. <laughs> And there's this over 30, over 30 is over. I had my, yeah, right, right, whatever, however old I was at the time. But this young kid comes up to me and he's like, sunburned, like beyond like repair. And he's like, there's a lady, there's a lady with a purse. And then talk about feeling, oh, ma'am. Then he called me, ma'am, ma'am, can I have, um, she got me sunscreen. And I was like, sweetie, you you should go home. (laughs) It's too late. Too late. (laughs) Yeah, Warp Tour was fun. Lollapalooza. So we did the first Lollapalooza too with Nine Inch Nails and Perry Farrell, those guys. That was like the first Lollapalooza yeah. tour. But Snoop Dogg was on one year. I had to pick up Snoop 
and take him to Kevin and Bean. So I'm rewinding a little bit. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I had to take Snoop to Kevin and Bean. So Brenda Romano, my boss, got us a limo. And then I was like, I have to go. He was living without the 210 freeway at the time. And I'm like, I don't want to go alone with Snoop in the car. <laughs> so our marketing, West Coast marketing girl, Tree Payne, who is now Taylor Swift's publicist. Good gag. But back then, Tree was like our West Coast marketing girl. And I'm like, you've got to come with me. I cannot be alone in the car with Snoop. So we go out there and it took 45 minutes to get him out the door, like ringing the bell, ringing the bell, ringing the bell. He finally came out and then he's got like a joint like this big. And he's like, yeah, yeah, girls, we got to go. We got to go pick up my my, uh, my cousin Nate. So then we had to go get Nate dog. By the way, this is the morning show. So what is it like seven in the morning? Something like that. This we were supposed to be on the air at eight. Yeah. Okay. So, you you know, the (laughs) traffic's insane. So we're out. We I think we left at six to go out to get him and then try to be back by eight. Then we had to go get Nate. So then we get Nate. So we get to K Rock at five minutes after 10 when Kevin and (laughs) Dean went off the air. My God. They took pictures with them and, and all that, but we missed the live on air live, you know? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? It's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> you got to roll with it. Yeah. It's yeah, Snoop like, time. Literally. Yeah. You, you have to live on Snoop time. That's yeah. Six- Sucks to be the adult in the room though. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Was- okay. So I have to ask, what is your preferred format to listen to? Oh, you know, it's weird is in like my younger days I listened to KNAC. Like I was a total metal chick. Yeah. Like I loved like the eighties easy bands and I loved metal, you know, like Judas Priest and um <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff. I loved that Metallica was like my favorite. So I evolved beyond that. And then I always listened to like alternative when I was working alternative just because that was the format that I was in and I just wanted to know it and, you know, hear it and see how people programmed it. And now that I'm in AAA, I really enjoy it. I enjoy AAA because it's so vast in terms of like just the genre itself. And then they're so open to developing artists. And I love the audience because they're so involved in what the radio stations do. Mm-hmm. But Honestly, I have two teenagers and we listen to pop music. I mean, <laughs> the girls, when I'm in the car with the girls, we have to listen to pop music. Have, so did you, did you, I know sus- what's going on in that world too. Did you sus- secure some Taylor Swift tickets? Have you, did you go? Are you going? Funny enough, they didn't want to go. Yeah. Do they like her or is it, isn't it mandatory? They, they, <laughs> I, I know, seriously, especially because. Tree's my friend, not, you know, not that I would take advantage of that, but, you know, they didn't want to go. My niece went and my niece was like freaking out. You know, we bought our tickets through Tree with friends and family, like, you know, forms that we had to fill out and all that stuff. So they got really good seats, but my girls didn't have more. Well, one of them could care less and the other one was kind of sort of into it. And I was just like, well, I don't want to kind of sort of you know, go, I either want to really go or, or don't go at all. So right. Right. You gotta be all yeah. in. We'll see. We'll see. There's still some shows. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Buffalo. In Buffalo. Okay. In Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah. So and I'm back there now. I'm, I'm here now. 
in Buffalo. Okay, so what was what did you listen to in Buffalo as a metal girl? Oh, I, I listened girl to the loved- Rock Station, PhD, and I interned there at the Rock Station, WPHD. That's what it was. Nice. My parents listened to like Danny Nebrith in the morning when we when I was younger, young, young. You know, when I first started out listening to radio, we we listened to Danny Nebrith on WKBW in the morning. Hi, Louise. I'm Dan Neverth. Come on in and meet the KB Dan. George Hamburger. John Summers. Jay Fredericks. Hi, I'm Louise. Hey, Louise, you're looking good. It's so friendly. We're just beginning. WKBW Radio 15. A friendly place. I was into all that, like Donnie Osmond and the Partridge family and all that because as a young girl, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into the Kiss Army and then I kind of stayed in that metal rock kind of thing for a long time billy joel and i i loved elton john like all those things but my parents liked all that too you know right yeah yeah so what was your first concert that you went to then i think it was like something i won from tickets at the station and it was something i wouldn't even listen to like i can't even remember that's the crazy (laughs) part like i don't know if it's being an older woman losing my memory all right. So what was the first concert you went to with your friends? This is Yeah, who do you remember seeing early? Who do you on? remember like Oh well, we saw uh, Billy Joel. Okay. So Yeah. So like in Buffalo yeah, I loved- Billy Billy Yeah. Like uh which one? The the Stranger Tour, the uh Stranger, yeah, it was the Stranger. That was a great album. Yeah. Oh my god. Such a great album. Okay, so did you move out to LA uh for radio or for music? No, no. I went to college for journalism. And I always wanted to live in LA. It was kind of like my dream, you know, watching Baywatch and thinking, oh my God, I can go to Malibu like all the time and sunny and beautiful. And, you know, winters in Buffalo are really horrifying. So 10 days after I graduated college, I had $2,000 and no job. And I moved out to LA and my college boyfriend was there. So I crashed with him and his brother till I got an apartment. So I was planning on being the next Diane Sawyer because I interned at the, the news channel here, Channel 2 News, and then uh, moved out there. And I got a job at the talk news station. And then I was pulling newswire and programming cart machines at, from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. So I worked like overnights. The whole time I was in high school and college, I worked at the local hospital here, Mercy Hospital. So I had, you know, knowledge of like the medical background. So I worked at an office in Santa Monica for a holistic doctor, Dr. Susser. And so between the combo of working with Dr. Susser, who was like one of the first like holistic doctors, and he he was treating Brian Wilson because of all the drugs he was on. Lithium mostly was the one drug that he was on. And so he would come in and get vitamin drips. And then Tiffany, the singer <laughs> Tiffany, she had Epstein-Barr virus at the time. And so she would come in and get drips. And I just remember what, this one funny story about rewinding back again to my Interscope days. So Dr. Susser was the sweetest man. So I worked during the day for him at uh, 9 to 5. And he was the sweetest man. And he was always, always, always behind schedule. And I was at the front desk. And so Tiffany came in and her manager, George Tobin, and 
he's like, why, you know, get, do you know who she is? Do you need to get her in there now? Uh, you know, he was like screaming, yelling at me every time he came and I just didn't like it. So cut to, I'm at Interscope and Primus is playing there for the warp Tour. George Tobin then bought a radio station in Vegas and owned the Edge in Vegas. And he wanted backstage passes and tickets for his son to meet Les Claypool. And he called me. And I said to him, he's like, this is George Tobin, and I own the radio station, and I want these tickets for my son and whatever. And it was like the day of the show, or like the day right before. And we'd already had the guest list in and all that other stuff. So, And I said, wait a minute. Are you the same George Tobin that used to manage Tiffany? And he said, yes. How do you know that? And I said, because I used to work at the front desk at Dr. Susser's office when you used to yell at me all the time that Dr. Susser was behind schedule and Tiffany couldn't, you know, how did I not? He's like, that was you. And I said, yeah, that was me. So let's think about this for a minute and I'll get back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Karma is a bitch. Yeah, that just, it's a a teachable moment for him. Yeah. yeah, I ended up getting passes and everything. But so, <laughs> so I, so I worked out during the day. And then at night I was working. So for six months, I worked two jobs. And then one time I was working on a weekend from 1am to 5am. And this girl named Yvonne Olson was working overnights too. And she was the news talk editor at R&R. And she was engaged to Gene Sambloom <laughs> at the time when he was the music director at Kiss FM. And so she was saving money to get married and working weekends at the radio station and KFWB. And she said, let's, you know, oh, why are you working? This is what you're doing. And she's like, we have an sit like a, you know, a job in the pit at R&R. You should come apply. I'll use me as a reference. So that's how I got my job at R&R. I knew nothing about the music industry ever. I went to Catholic school, yeah. you know. Our job fairs did not have music industry. <laughs> all, right. all right. So you said working in the pit. Please explain what the pit is and what that was like. Oh, the pit. So it was really, it was kind of like an open plan, floor plan like they have now. But it was all like in a big kind of circle, right? So every office, like um, Harvey Kojan's office, and then the assistant, his assistant would be out there. And then there was Hurricane, who was... Uh, like the report taker from crazy, like we all took reports. Like every time anyone called in their playlist, there were like, like her name is me, Robin, Tara, Jim Nelson, her king, Sean Ross was there. <laughs> there were like seven of us in the pit and it was just open. And like, any, like they would just throw calls at us all day and we would just type in playlists all day long. That was working in the pit. <laughs> was taking, being a report taker, you would just, Call, talk to radio stations all day, type in their playlist, ask them if they had any news or their top five songs that they, you know, got requests. And that's how we created like all that stuff. And it, and it was like, literally you had to type so fast. <laughs> I, t- I think me and Hurricane were, would race each other every day. And I think I took 121 <laughs> reports one, one Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. Because we got any format, it didn't matter. You could get rock, you could get urban, you could get pop, you could get, you know, AOR, you could get CHR, whatever they were at the time, you know. You could get anybody on the other end of the phone. They would just fire calls at us all day. And we would just take reports. This was before faxing or what? So it was just, they would just. (laughs) It was all before faxing. Yes. 
typed it in. So it wasn't even your intent to get into the music business. No. <laughs> and then when I like got the job and I was like, holy crap, this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> like this is work. Yeah, right. You know, Diane Sawyer didn't dawn on me after that. It was all over. <laughs> it's all over. That's, that's funny, though. I was saying, like, Dr. Susser and Snoop Dogg, were, they were same. They're always behind, behind schedule, right? Everyone was always behind schedule. Anyone, yeah, I know. I know. Any but rock you know. star, any rock star who was ahead of, who was on time, who was, who was the, well, the most well-behaved rock star that was always on time, was, made those morning show, made, made it to everyone? Well, the no doubts were all fantastic. Oh, okay. And only because Tony was like, Tony had them on, like they were on, you know, he had everybody ready, but Tony <laughs> Canal was the guy yeah. like Virgo. He's a Virgo for him and Adrian are Virgos and uh, Tom's a Capricorn. So those three guys were always on, you know, and then they just had to wrangle Gwen. She would take her bag and just dump it in the middle of the dressing room and just have clothes everywhere. And like, I just remember going to her house one time or her dressing room. And I was just like, cause I like things organized and in order. And I'm like, dude, how do you find anything in here? She goes, I know where everything is, but it was like in piles, you know, just dumped on the floor. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> but they got her going. And, but it was always Tony. Yeah. Tony, they were the best. They were always on time. They were there. They did everything you asked of them. It was wonderful. They were wonderful to work with. Wonderful. Yeah. It was fun to see their rise. Oh, so great. So So great. Is this what led you? I was looking through your CV on LinkedIn and it says you're a life coach. Is that? I am. All right. I am. Please please explain. What what is this? (laughs) Okay. So I don't know where the turn of events happened, but. I think it's kind of like when I had my kids, you know, because I was like in the job as a life, like the job was a lifestyle. It's not a job because it was so much fun, but it was grueling when you go through the day to day, like just what you have to do every day, like get up at five in the morning and then I would go to the gym and then I would be at the office by seven to like pull media base and BDS at the time and, you know, pull charts and then roll radio calls all day. And then if there was shows at night, you go to dinner, you take the programmer to dinner and then you go after dinner to the show. And then you're after the show meet and greet. Everybody was hanging out till one o'clock in the morning and then you do it all over again. And then if you're on the road, it's even harder because you're like catching the first flight out, landing somewhere, having breakfast with one programmer, lunch with another one, taking the band over to the radio station to do interviews, then going to do any kind of promo you did, like a sound check parties or whatever. And then you go to dinner with set another program director or all of them. And then you go to the show and then you do another, you know, and it just got so exhausting after a long time. I got to be around 40 and I kind of wanted to settle down and have kids and like have like a more normal kind of life, even though I couldn't complain about how awesome the life was. So I had my kids when I was 44, I had twins as a single mom through an egg and sperm donor because my eggs were rotten at the time because I waited so late, you know, I was like, oh, 40. And my doctor kept saying, you know, if you want to have kids, you should do it now. That's when I was like 36. I'm like, I have too much fun. Then when I turned 40, I was like, oh, 
Maybe I should try now. Oh, no, I'll run a couple marathons. So then I took two years of running marathons and half marathons and like avoiding, avoiding, putting it off. And then I finally, like at 42, was like, I got to, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it. And then they were like, oh, yeah, um, a little problem, you know. Hmm. So then I, I went through two years of all that. And then I had my twins, my twin girls who are now 14. So then it was like really hard to be on the road. Then I had a full-time nanny and I didn't want to like have a nanny, even though she was amazing. Then I had, you know, a nanny and I was on the road and then they were sad when I left and, you know, it was, I was the only parent and I just thought this is too much, you know, I got to like slow my roll and do something else. I always was interested in like personal growth and like, how can we be better humans and the mind, how the mind works. And I thought about going back to school to be a, a like a like a therapist because everybody that I worked with always said, "How do you get these bands to do that? You're the only one that can move them to do stuff, you know." And people would like other departments. Would, How do what did you do? And I go, dude, you gotta like learn what makes them tick. You gotta figure out, talk to them, ask them questions. And the same thing with my staff, you know, like there's some people that need a kick in the pants or some people that need to be told they're the best thing on earth just to get them to close radio stations. You know, oh, come on, you're the best. You can do this. What do you mean you can't get that ad? Of course you can. Ten minutes later, they call in an ad, you know. I don't know if it's a gift that I have, but I just figured out like what, like get to know these people to the degree that you see what motivates them to want to do something so with bands it was like what do you need from me in order so that i get what i want from you and i would point blank ask that so the primus guys were like okay go go we'll go with you but we got to go to pawn shops afterwards and go pawn shopping and i'm like done let's go the bush guys always wanted to go to dinner they're like they called me linner linner what's for dinner (laughs) and i would take them to dinner they would be like okay we'll go do this, but like, we really need to eat some good food. And I'm like, cool, let's go. So it was all that. And did, then I thought, wow. Did the bands know they were paying for their own dinner? <laughs> and, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that they figured that out. <laughs> I don't think any of these bands knew that. They're only just discovering this now, I think. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and it comes sad, to the forefront. Sad, but true. But Hey, they got good dinners out of it. You know? True. With, <laughs> um, with Leonard. But yeah, so then I figured that that would be something that it's something that intrigued me that I thought was fun. So when I lost my job at Reprise because we downsized and they got like all the whole Reprise staff got let go and then Warners took Reprise over. Then I went to like a weekend seminar and got, got like a life coach certification. And then I didn't really do anything with it because then I was going to work in like the fertility world and help people like have babies at, you know, older ages and single moms or like LGBTQ families who non-traditional, like they call it a third party family building Mm. where you Mm -hmm. use donors to build your family. I thought I would going to go into that kind of space. And I did for a while, like I worked part-time with PVED, Parents Via Egg Donation. I was on the board of directors there and... I worked helping her with some of her like social media advertising. And then I worked with egg donation agency that helped me have my girls. I always wanted to kind of figure out how to do that, but then I never did. And then I kept going back to music to pay the bills. Yeah. So then I got certified as a hypnotist four years ago. 
because as anyone in the music industry will know, the lifestyle's a little bit, you know, topsy-turvy, and some people like to imbibe in things a little too much, and that could have been me, maybe. You know, having a little too much wine all the time. So I used the hypnotist to stop my drinking habits. Hmm. And it was so freaking easy to stop. Wow. He's like, you should become a hypnotist. So I did. I went and got certified for that. And then last year, I did a whole year long program for the Institute of Coaching Mastery. It's a Mastery Method Life Coach and is a big certification program. So I went to school three nights a week on Zoom from 8 to 10 p.m. all year while I was working this job at uh, All Access full-time and have my twin girls in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot, yeah. So, yeah, so now I'm like, okay, now All Access is coming to an end, and the universe is kicking me in the pants. So this is what you're going to do next. That's very yeah. exciting to step into something new, knowing that you can go full force into it. Yeah. I have a couple clients already. And one of them, I'm proud to say, she has been battling with her weight for her whole life. And we uncovered so many amazing things that were, because whatever, whenever you have like an issue, like, you know, smoking, drinking, eating too much, spending too much, any of those kind of things, they're always adaptive behaviors to something else that's at the roots. So you can go on diets all day long and you're never going to keep the weight off until you rip out the roots or at least not rip it out, more like integrate it, understand it and then integrate it. And then you can move past it. So we learned what hers was and she said the first time in her whole life, she's never been on a diet and she's down like almost 50 pounds. Congratulations. That's huge. I know. I'm like, oh, it makes my heart like it's just like, oh, so yeah, that's that's what I plan on doing next. In a weird way, it's kind of similar to being radio promotion or, you know, dealing with artists and like, okay, here's their issues. Here's how I'm going to get them to do what they need to do. And so I guess it seems like that's kind of, in a way, same sort of scenarios, just trying to solve some issues. You see what they want to accomplish, you know, whether it's a number one record or to lose a few, lose some pounds. That's, that's what you're doing. It's reverse engineering. Like what's your end result you're looking for? Yeah. So like, yeah, like ask bands that, like, what do you want to do? Well, I want to play arenas. Okay. Well then stop acting like a, a nutbag and go to work, do the work. Like, that's one thing I always said was like, they were like, Oh, you know, I don't want to do that. And I'd be like, great. I paid my big fat salary and you can not go or go. It's, it's up to you. Like I can't make you go, but if you want this result, you have to behave in line with what your, the result is. So if you want to party and not show up and get a reputation with radio that you're just going to not follow through on things you promised, whatever, then that's cool. But it doesn't affect me in any way. I still have my job. 
So they didn't like that. <laughs> Some of them didn't. Well, that's the difference between you and a, ma- a manager really has to, it's almost like babysitting or whatever you want. I'm sure you had to deal with a lot of managers. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and that's the thing too. Like some of them didn't even like me talking to their artists, which was fine too. I, I had to like yeah. ride that line, right? I had to be respectful of sure. them having a manager. But when I'm with them all day long, I don't want them acting inappropriately to my radio relationships, my people that I, that I, I have, you know, garnered really good rapport with. I don't want that to be ruined because of them. I thought it was important you have that truthfulness with them, you know? It is important. Like, the truth is really important. And the funny thing is, is I think the disconnect for a lot of people in their whole life is, are their beliefs in line with their actions? And is the actions that they do in line with what they want? And there's always usually a disconnect in the middle, and then it's peeling that away and trying to figure it out. And a lot of it's unconscious. You don't even know until you want to know. You're going to be a good life coach. This is going to be nice. Yeah, I see it already. Well, I guess the reason I reached out to you was because of All Access. Can you just tell me a little bit about All Access? Like the industry relied a lot on it and they were shocked that it came to an end. Did you see the writing on the wall? You've only been there for like a couple of years and... A year and a half, yeah. yeah. Oh, I started um, like Jan. Well, I I got hired in December of twenty one, but I didn't take over till January yeah. of twenty two because when John Schoenberger retired. So, but I've known Joel and Sean since R and R days. Right. So, yeah, it's like, kind of, I it's kind of bookends. And I wrote a poem actually for a whole year called the Inside Project that was a column in All Access they put out every week, which was all my stuff that I love. You know, like talking about coaching and talking about mindset and talking about behaviors and all that other stuff. So I wrote a column for a year while I was doing indie work. And then it just wasn't paying the bills doing indie work. You know, there's a lot of us indies out there. And when John left, I thought, you know, it seemed like a really great transition for me to go there because I know these guys, you know, they're like been my friends for a long time. And so I kind of did see the writing on the wall only because Joel just got remarried, you know, his first wife died a a while ago and we met Kim and he was mad, he's madly in love and they've been together and then they went on a honeymoon for like three weeks and Joel never took time off, (laughs) ever. And he turned 71 in June and I thought, I bet he comes back and tells us he's going to retire. That was in my back of my mind always. And then... With all the decline and, you know, when UMG came at the beginning of the year saying they're cutting promo budgets 50% and it just got slimmer and slimmer and slimmer for us to make budget. So we do sales, we do promotion. So we sell, you know, we sell advertising, we, we do promotion. So that's another in, a revenue stream. We sell the AADLs, the, the downloads. We write news columns. We keep track of releases. We write 10 questions uh, features. We do like a page featuring video spotlights. We do spotlight tracks and write up, re- and then we do artist info where we write up reviews and stuff. There's a lot to it on top of that news, the job section. That's one thing people are really going to miss is the jobs. People were like freaking out because they're like, that's where our we found our job was the job hub, mm-hmm. you know? And that was just upgraded too. There's so much value in what All Access offers. And I think the, the model wasn't sustainable. We had 25 employees, you know? Mm-hmm. And most labels are down to like three locals. I had 25 locals when I was in the high of the the years, the thick years, I call them. 
So it's sad. It's very sad. It's a sign of the times. And I hope that they figure out a way to keep it rolling and it'll look a little different. But I don't know what he's going to do. All right. Well, I've got the 10 questions. There's some that you ask of everyone. So let's go through. uh, I'll just cut to the ones that you usually ask. So what is the one truth that has held constant throughout your career? To always be truthful. To always tell the truth, I think. No messing around. To be very straightforward. We should let our, our listeners know that we didn't give you any time to prepare for, prepare these answers. <laughs> no, good. Yeah, and, <laughs> and actually, I mean, you know, I was going to ask this one, but of course, it, I think we already answered it. If you were to leave the music business today and you could choose any other occupation, what would it be? I would be a life coach and hypnotist. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, okay, do you actually put people out? I'm confused by hypnosis. Can you explain hypnosis? this? Hypnosis? Okay. Hypnosis is slowing down the brain waves. So when you are right now, we're all in beta brain. All three of us are in beta brain where it's the monkey mind. Okay, right now, Holly's thinking, oh, it's close to lunch. I think I need, when is this over? You know, I'm just, I'm just speaking. Wow. You do know Holly very well. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) It's like your brain is always going and and it's in fat. It's fast. Like always moving. You're like, you're alert. You're very alert. Hypnosis takes you down to like theta wave, which is very slow. So it's just a a form of relaxation. Have you ever caught yourself driving and you're like in a, you're zoned out and you miss your exit or you're standing in the refrigerator doors open and you're like, what was I looking for again? Or you're on the couch and the TV's on in the background, but you're half asleep, but you can still hear what's going on. That's the brainwave that you're in in hypnosis. And kids from zero to seven live in theta brainwave all the time. That's why they're creative and they're super curious and they play. They have imagination. So when you slow the brainwave down to that level, you move the monkey mind out and the chatter and the conditioning and the bullshit. You move it away. And then you plant seeds of the shift that you desire in the mind of the person. And you cannot be planted anything that it's against your moral compass ever. So you're not going to cluck like a chicken and run in the middle of the street with like a, you know, clown suit on. You're not going to do any of those things. But it's very helpful to be relaxed and slow down and allow yourself to have that shift. Because all we live in is a hamster wheel of yesterday, almost every day, where we we relive the past or our minds are in the past or the future and we're never here in the present moment. And that's what you do when you're in hypnosis, you're in the present moment. The thing is, the person that's getting hypnotized has to want to change. You can come 20 times. I can hypnotize you 20 times. You're not going to change the behavior. Fill in the blank. I can't make it through the day without... Dot, dot, dot. Meditating. Oh, look, I can almost answer these questions for you now. I feel like after this mm-hmm. out. Very nice. And coffee. And, I love coffee. And, and coffee, of course. And, <laughs> oh, thank. Okay, so there's the one thing. What's one thing most people may not know about you? Well, that I went to Catholic school as a Catholic school girl. <laughs> also a marathon runner. Crazy to think that. How 
how, what's your marathon time? Marathon runner, yeah. What's your time? What's, what's your best time that you ran? Oh, God. <laughs> I finished. Let's just say that. That's, that, is yeah. that is the accomplishment. That is the accomplishment. You did a few of these, huh? Yeah, it was just, I just wanted to finish. And I did it with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society team in training. And there were five people that we did it. And we all, we called ourselves the Fab Five. That They're people I met through the training process. And we all decided we're going to go over the finish line together. We didn't care how long it took. We were going to walk and run, walk and run. And then, you know, like Leanne threw up on mile 14 and Joel had a freak out on mile 18. And then like we all had like things that happened. So we, we all stuck together. So our time sucked, but we had a great time. That's all that matters. Do you, that, Congratulations. Running is kind of a form of hypnosis, right? You kind of get in that zone. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There are all kinds of things you can do. Yeah. That was a whole handful of things people might not know. There you go. I know. <laughs> well, we got to know. There you go. Got to know Lynn. Well, thank you so much for, yeah. for giving us so much time. I'm really wonderful. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate your time and thank you for the opportunity. It was totally our pleasure. Bye. Well, that was a fun talk with Lynn. That was a fascinating talk with Lynn. She has had such an interesting career and now she's got another upcoming career. As we've talked before, it's all a linear line. It just, it seems like you're zigzagging and there's no direction, but then you look back and like, yeah, this all makes sense. And that's kind of what Lynn has been going through. Even though All Access isn't going to be around, Lynn is going to be thriving with her new career. And I'm sure we'll see her uh, at music industry events many times as well. And did you say linear, linear? Yeah, I did. Very good. Good one, Dave. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Is it time for Linner? What was it? What, did, what, yeah. Linner, Linner, chicken dinner? There no. you go. Linner, Linner, what's for dinner? Linner, Linner, what's for dinner? That's that's our Lynn. Maybe she'll take us to dinner one day. We'll <laughs> <laughs> and we can and we can say Linner, Linner, what's for dinner? Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, I don't know what's for dinner, but I do know that we have podcasts coming up every Friday. How would one find that out? What we got uh, in store? You can find us on social media at WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast, where you will find outtakes from this chat with Lynn and all of our other guests. Yeah, YouTube videos are a lot of fun. There's always something interesting. Occasionally we go to shows and uh, I don't know if it's legal or not, but we're, we've been filming them and, and putting some clips up on YouTube. Don't tell anyone. Shh, keep it a secret. But um, check it out. But do tell all your friends about our podcast and do uh, post reviews and tell us how much you love us. Give us five star reviews. You know, all, all that stuff, because that's always helpful. Yes. Yeah, so please. And thank you. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts as well. We have, again, new episodes every Friday. Follow us. Find out information, WDDIMpodcast.com. And until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.